Well, it's uh, 6.30, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and my partner, <clears throat> Jim Dwyer, is up uh, up north this uh, week, taking a little quick end-of-summer vacation with his uh, lovely wife, Mars, and uh, his charming children. They're going to Mackinac Island, <laughs> which ironically has been in the news uh, today. We won't get into that. The war on terror is one of the biggest frauds perpetrated on the American public since the Cold War. In any event, Jim will be back next week, and I'm sure you can catch their show uh, this coming Saturday, uh, Robot Pasta. I'm sure the Dwyer family will be all back in town, tanned, rested, and raring to go, as Richard Nixon once said of himself, after a vacation. Well, it's been a big week of uh, international news and uh, even some political news. We had uh, primaries here in Michigan. Uh, too bad to see George uh, Joe Schwartz um, defeated in the primary by uh, an incredible array of outside money combined with the uh, continuing power of the religious right in GOP primaries. Good to see my friends uh, Steve Kunselman and Ron Suarez both win city council seats, so uh, I'm sure that the uh, Ann Arbor City Council is in good hands uh, for the next couple of years. Obviously, the big national story, uh, we won't talk about Cynthia McKinney. Uh, she was the other incumbent defeated in the primary uh, elections of last week was Joe Lieberman. Joe Lieberman's problems were essentially that on Iraq he got a little bit too close to Bush and uh, on policy he got a little too far away from the voters in the Democratic Party within Connecticut. Ned Lamont was a credible candidate uh, and he was also well financed. Uh, this is a, a businessman with a lot of money and every now and then you uh, basically have an election with two heavyweights and uh, somebody's got to lose and I think Lieberman Lieberman's problems, I think, uh, started last year uh, when he made the idiotic comment, and I'm quoting here from uh, The Nation, quote, it's time for Democrats who distrust President Bush to acknowledge he'll be the commander-in-chief for three more years. We undermine the president's credibility at our nation's peril. Well, the problem with that statement is uh, Bush has undermined his own credibility. And uh, to basically soften the criticism of Bush's policies, uh, both uh, on domestic issues and uh, particularly on so-called national security issues, is not what the loyal opposition in theory is all about. Uh, Joe Lieberman obviously <laughs> has a credibility problem uh, now as running as an independent Democrat, as he puts it. Uh, I don't know what will happen in Connecticut, but I suspect that uh, Lieberman will find himself sort of, well, like a, too many independents, uh, just not credible as a, quote, independent. And uh, the money will dry up for him as well as the boots on the ground, so to speak. Obviously, the Democratic Party is uh, is, is going to rally around Lamont, as they already have, and... I don't know if Joe Lieberman is going to quit the race, but I suspect that he'll find in a couple of months that his uh, 
chances for re-election are minimal. And in response to the uh, Lieberman defeat, uh, let's give Dick Cheney a brain damage award for trying to use the phrase al-Qaeda types uh, to somehow describe the defeat of Lieberman in that uh, vein. Al-Qaeda has nothing to do with the war in Iraq, despite the continued um, attempt by uh, Dick Cheney and George Bush in particular to link some connection. The war in Iraq is a total catastrophe of the United States, and I think that, as we've seen in Lebanon, uh, sectarian violence that uh, has been ongoing for quite some time. And by the way, just this over the weekend, uh, the death uh, toll for American troops in Iraq went over the 2600 mark. And I suspect that by the time of the uh, November elections, these congressional elections that are coming up in November, uh, it will exceed the total death in the so-called 9-11 attack. Iraq, the Iraq war is Bush's... um, well, I don't know what to how to characterize it other than just continue to say it's it's a catastrophe for the United States. And this situation in Lebanon, I think, just underscores uh, what Iraq will probably resemble in the future. There have been some reports, by the way, that Turkey uh, is even contemplating getting involved uh, against Kurdish elements in the north. Uh, that could actually expand this into a regional war. Whether or not that happens, uh, no one knows. But obviously the continuing violence in Iraq that's unleashed this sectarian violence is illustrative of the entire history of the uh, sorry situation in Lebanon. George Bush's comments today that this war was started by Hezbollah is silly. Um, This is not the case. Yes, Hezbollah did kidnap two soldiers. But Israel decided to unleash its uh, mighty American military, uh, American um, arms, I should say, um, in basically a a very questionable um, attempt to, quote, decapitate Hezbollah. I don't think they've succeeded. And I think that it's a terrible thing when the media is trying to pick winners and losers, (laughs) Uh, This is a situation, the war in Lebanon, this most recent war, is an example of basically everybody losing. Uh, The only winners here are the American arms manufacturers. And just typical of uh, what is actually going on in this regard was an article that appeared uh, just this past week in the New York Times. It says, Israel asks U.S. to ship rockets with wide blast. Israel had put in a request for M26 artillery rockets, which are also known as cluster bombs. Uh, These have been used uh, in Lebanon by uh, the Israeli military. We now know what the the cost of this uh, 34-day-old, quote, war has been all about. And this ceasefire should have happened 33 days ago. Uh, The Bush administration, with a wink and a nod, permitted Israel to start a full-fledged war uh, in Lebanon with disastrous consequences. Leaving aside the death toll, we've talked about this in the past, that this exceeds uh, the damage to America on 9-11 by over a factor of 10. 
Um, I think it's now in the 20s, if you want to get down to the math. But uh, the number of refugees, the ability uh, of Hassan, Hassan uh, Nasrallah to claim victory, he's another moron. He deserves a brain damage award. There's no victory for Hezbollah here. Um, I think that there are serious questions about the actual logistics of the ceasefire. But what's interesting about these cluster bombs in this article by David Cloud, it points out that during the 1980s, the United States maintained a moratorium on selling cluster munitions to Israel following disclosures that civilians in Lebanon had been killed with uh, these weapons during the 1982 invasion. But the moratorium was lifted late in the Reagan administration, and since then the United States has sold Israel some types of cluster munitions, senior officials said. The crux crux of this article, by the way, was the dispute between um, high-ranking Bush administration officials that wanted to, quote, speed up the delivery of these munitions versus the State Department officials that have sought to delay approval, quote, because of concerns over the likelihood of civilian casualties and the diplomatic repercussions. The United States, speaking of the diplomatic repercussions, has also been a loser in this uh, war in Lebanon. The United States, Bush, I think, by the way, when this thing started, was in the midst of his uh, annual uh, European summit, G8 summit. It actually took place in St. Petersburg this year, but I think he was actually in Germany when the, when the, sh- when the real shooting started. Uh, Israel's response to the kidnapping, and by the way, there have been kidnappings of of this nature over the years. There have been prison exchanges over the years. Uh, Israel's uh, response to go into Lebanon with uh, pretty much unopposed air power and uh, their attempts to go in on the ground, of course, led to Hezbollah uh, shooting their their munitions, their Katusha rockets and whatever else they had. And, of course, these are poorly aimed uh, missiles that are not uh, precise by any stretch of the imagination. Israel's, quote, precision bombing, though, in, Israel, in Lebanon has, has uh, created unbelievable damage, billions of dollars worth of damage. And it's quite unclear to me how uh, this UN force is actually going to disarm Hezbollah, assuming that uh, they're not going to be disarmed. You can uh, count on the fact that uh, Nasrallah will... Uh, continue to foment uh, sectarian violence in Lebanon. And Lebanon, of course, is a country that's had all sorts of uh, these problems uh, over the years. Uh, This is not the first, quote, ceasefire in Lebanon, and I doubt it will be the last. And that's an unfortunate situation. Uh, It's important to realize, by the way, that in the 48 war, um, the uh, the so-called Arab-Israeli conflict, Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were forced to flee into Lebanon. Lebanon has always been a weak government with a paper constitution that sort of defines the reality on the ground. And over the years, Israel has allied itself, in particular with Christian militias in uh, Lebanon, uh, under the theory that they can somehow um, create a um, state... Uh, governed, you know, a, a, a quote, Christian state in Lebanon. I recently have been reading, just finished a book uh, entitled The Struggle Over Lebanon by Tabitha Petron, who was a longtime foreign correspondent for The Guardian. 
and who lived in uh, Syria and Lebanon from 1962 and 1986. Her perspective on the overall history of the problems in Lebanon is uh, very even-handed because, of course, she uh, calls the Syrian uh, involvement in Lebanon a a tragedy as well. And over the years, uh, Lebanon has been, shall we say, invaded by various uh, adjacent states for their own political purposes. In 1982, of course, uh, Israel went into Lebanon in a full-fledged invasion with disastrous consequences. This, is, of course, is when these uh, refugee uh, camps in southern Beirut of uh, Shabar and Shatila were, um, where these massacres occurred. The Israeli government had control over the area. Uh, Ariel Sharon, of course, was defense minister at the time in charge of the uh, Lebanon war, and he allowed Christian militias, Christian Maronite militias, to go into this area and... Uh, Basically, these atrocities occurred by Christians against the Palestinians. Various other factions, of course, have been historically involved in the chaos of Lebanon that's led to uh, a variety of small sectarian wars, outright civil war that sort of uh, occurred between uh, 75 and 78, and then, of course, the American involvement in Lebanon in 1983 and 84, that uh, the Reagan administration solved, by the way, by uh, invading Grenada, uh, which occurred uh, two days after the Marine truck bombing that Hezbollah was behind. Hezbollah, by the time, by the way, back in those days, was a fairly small splinter um, faction uh, that was uh, backed by Ayatollah Khomeini, and it only really consisted of about 1,500 militia. Now, of course, it's a much bigger force. It uh, clearly is uh, backed um, both in terms of rhetoric and uh, armaments from Syria and Iran, but it's also part of the uh, Lebanese government, and the Lebanese government is is fractious. It's uh, got religious sects. It's got uh, political um, intrigue and all sorts of things. We still don't know who was behind the assassination of uh, Hariri a couple of years ago. Uh, Syria has been blamed for this, uh, but whether that is actually the case, uh, one doesn't know. As I say, there are no uh, winners in this so-called war other than American defense contractors. Uh, There is probably going to be some sort of Israeli inquiry into the failure of uh, Prime Minister Olmert to achieve his so-called objectives. And while it's uh, probably safe to say that Hezbollah has uh, lost some of its armaments um, and certainly some of its uh, militia fighters. Uh, The extent of it being degraded or eliminated or decapitated is non-existent. It's completely unclear to me how the UN peacekeeping force is going to disarm Hezbollah in this region. Obviously, the Shiite uh, people of Lebanon have gotten behind Hezbollah as a sort of rallying cry, and uh, it's a sorry situation. The United States, unfortunately, stood by far too long um, to allow this carnage to continue, and it's actually quite unclear 
uh, to what extent the uh, Bush administration ever really acquiesced to this U.N. agreement. It seems that they were the ones that were holding up uh, some of the uh, actual negotiations uh, that were being pushed by other Arab states in the region, supposedly our allies. And I think that the Bush administration, uh, typical of its Mideast policy in general, um, has lost all credibility. Bush, for his part, will try and claim um, that Hezbollah suffered a monumental defeat and that this war is, quote, still about freedom and terror. He made these comments today. Um, totally um, divorced from reality. As divorced from reality as his idiotic comments earlier in the week uh, regarding the so-called British terror plot as uh, something perpetrated by Islamic fascists. Uh, we don't know who these people in uh, Britain really are, um, whether they actually are connected to al-Qaeda. But um, one thing for sure, they're not fascists. Uh, they may well be uh, terrorists. They may, be, may well be adherents of uh, Osama bin Laden. They may well have been inspired by him. They may even have been directed uh, by some sort of al-Qaeda um, uh, logistics, but we don't know the details yet, and we'll let the the British uh, sort this out for us. But Bush's comments in response to that about Islamic fascism is just mindless stupidity coming from uh, probably the biggest moron ever elected in American history. It's good to see, by the way, that his approval ratings are back down in the low 30s. Um, the uh, continuing problems in Iraq and his inability to uh, really get anything substantive done on behalf of America's real problems are um, just all the much clearer. Um, of course, he's cut his vacation short. Uh, no need to be on a month-long vacation with all these problems continuing in the Middle East. But uh, the history of Lebanon is, is, is a sorry one indeed. It's interesting, at the beginning of her book, um, Tabitha Petron introduces the book saying that Israel's cynically styled peace in Galilee invasion of Lebanon in the summer of 1982 was intended to eradicate a Palestinian political threat and not, as it claimed, a military one. In the 15 years following the 67 war in which it seized and retained an area three times larger than the state of Israel itself, the Is Israeli army killed at least 10,000 Palestinians and Lebanese most of them civilians inside Lebanon. In the same period, according to Israeli police sources, 200 Israelis were killed by the PLO. And, of course, the PLO was uh, forced into Lebanon. Yasser Arafat and his al-Fatah organization was forced into Lebanon back in the early 1970s when uh, King Hussein of Jordan started the uh, so-called Black September uh, operations. So Lebanon has actually been the victim of both Syrian, Israeli, and Jordanian militarism. And as a sort of a weak political state, a state uh, that, of course, was part of the so-called French mandate that uh, resulted from the peace treaty of World War I, uh, you, you basically have a situation, as David Ben-Gurion points out, that Lebanon has always been regarded as the weakest link. We've heard a lot about the Latani River uh, in uh, these negotiations that have been going on uh, regarding where uh, the so-called UN peacekeeper 
peacekeeping forces in collaboration with the Lebanese army are supposedly going to patrol. The Latani River, of course, has always been part of Israel's uh, desire to um, incorporate this part of Lebanon into their state because um, these, these rivers are instrumental in the control of water resources in the region. And uh, Israel, unfortunately, has frequently um, desired um, and at times even annexed parts of uh, this river area. Um, It's interesting that um, back in 1955, and this gives you an idea of how long these wars in Lebanon have been going on, uh, the Israeli Foreign and Defense Ministries on May 16th of 55 called on uh, their officials to discuss the Latani River project. Then Chief of Staff IDF Forces Moshe Dayan declared, as recorded in the Foreign Ministry's uh, personal diary, quote, The only thing that's necessary is to find a Lebanese offer, even a major will do, an officer, even a major will will do, we should either win his heart or buy him with money to get him to agree to declare himself the savior of the Maronite population. Then the Israeli army will enter Lebanon, occupy the necessary territory, and create a Christian regime which will ally itself with Israel. The territory from the Latani southward will be totally annexed by Israel. Diane recommends that this be done immediately tomorrow. Well, this theoretical goal of Israel to create a uh, Christian Maronite stooge um, that we can, quote, uh, buy with his heart or with money um, has always been at the heart of Israeli uh, policy in Lebanon because we can remember back during the Lebanese Civil War and the subsequent invasion of Lebanon by Israel in the late 70s, early 80s, that uh, Israel was trying to ally itself with the Jamil uh, clan, uh, Christian Maronites that were uh, at the time so-called the president of, uh, he was the president of Lebanon. Uh, His brother uh, Bashir, as I recall, was killed in a horrific uh, bombing that uh, has frequently been blamed on Palestinians, but uh, Israel may have indeed been behind that bombing as well. So uh, it's a very complicated situation. It's not uh, this black and white world that Mr. Bush continues to portray in the region. And when you start hearing the president linking Lebanon, Iraq, and Afghanistan to this uh, his so-called war on terror, and that these are all at the forefront of the overall policy, um, well, we're in trouble. Um, because uh, just last week it was fascinating to learn that there apparently had been a rift between Condoleezza Rice and George Bush about Mr. Bush's hands-off policy on negotiating this peace uh, ceasefire that we've uh, supposedly had. Uh, It's bizarre. Last night I was in a bar having a drink before I went to a show down at the Blind Pig, and (laughs) I'm sitting there in CNN on on one of the, the... tubes that was in the bar had this countdown until ceasefire going on on the on the on, the, uh, on their network and i thought wow that's uh wishful thinking um hopefully the ceasefire of course will um 
told, but uh, there have already been reported clashes here and there, and uh, it's a little unclear what will happen next. As I would uh, predict, uh, while I don't think Olmert is going to fall as leader of Israel uh, within the next couple of weeks, a substantive uh, inquiry into the handling of the war by the uh, Israeli military uh, may result in his downfall. And, of course, in, cor- in, in conjunction with this, we've seen the so-called terror plot in Britain uh, lead to Muslim leaders in that country uh, calling into question Britain's support of American Middle East foreign policy that is beginning to uh, nag at um, Tony Blair's uh, own uh, future as leader of uh, the British Labor Party. Um, many labor backbenchers would like to see him leave sooner rather than later. So um, don't believe any of this rubbish in the mainstream media that over the next couple of days is going to try and pick winners and losers in this war. Uh, there have been nothing but losers here on all sides. Um, any way you look at it, uh, as I say, the only winners, unfortunately, have been American arms manufacturers. And we've reported here on Gray Matters uh, just a couple of weeks ago that in the midst of all this warfare, the uh, Bush administration approved $6 billion of more arms uh, intended for Saudi Arabia. Um, so you can see that these uh, wars in the Middle East allow the American government to uh, funnel arms all over the region while talking about freedom. It's uh, a very twisted version of freedom, and uh, it is uh, keeping Americans off balance about what's really going on in our country, Uh, the continuing problems with uh, income inequality, for instance. You know, we had a report just a couple of, uh, well, over a year ago, and then confirmed uh, just over a month ago that income inequality is at the worst level in this country since the Great Depression. So it's this reorganization of, uh, of the tax uh, structure in America that uh, these are the people that are getting the big tax cuts are not paying for the uh, Bush war in Iraq. And we've pointed out that that war has already cost the American taxpayer $300 billion. And uh, estimates, by the way, on the total amount of money that it will cost to uh, care for the veterans that have been killed and wounded uh, in the Iraq war are almost another $300 billion. So we are talking conservatively here about a trillion-dollar war in Iraq, and the president uh, keeps talking about freedom. Well, his his ideas of freedom are twisted, uh, and so are his uh, economic policies, um, that maybe I'll uh, talk a little bit about it as the show comes to a close here. Um, it's almost 7 p.m., and we would like to thank uh, Kristen for uh, pinch-hitting tonight as an engineer here on Gray Matters. Um, Yazoo City Calling will be coming up next right here on this fine uh, station of WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Um, and getting just real quickly on this uh, income inequality is in the last minute or two, uh, an article by Anna Bernizek confirms, by the way, that income during the Bush administration failed to rise for the fifth straight year uh, in the United States. She writes, inequality has always been part of the American economy, but the gap between rich and poor 
has recently been widening to an alarming rate. Today, more than 40% of total income is going to the wealthiest 10%, their biggest share of the nationals pie in the last 65 years. And then it's got this amazing chart that shows how the income inequality um, contributed to the problems of the Great Depression. It was back then when the top 10% had 40% of the national income, and uh, we know what happened. Um, Of course, uh, I don't think a Great Depression at the moment uh, would ever occur in the United States again, but certainly uh, trickle-down economics uh, as uh, <clears throat> introduced by Ronald Reagan uh, seems to continue in America, only in this case, unfortunately, it's trickle-up economics. Well, we are uh, out of time, I guess, so do stay tuned. Um, Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on... WCBN, FM, and Arbor. And uh, Jim Dwyer should be back with us next week. You were listening to WCBN, FM, and Arbor. And it's time for Yazoo City Calling. Um, my name is Morgan, and uh, I'm here for, uh, filling in for Jerry this week. Um, so today we're going to hear few different things for the first half an hour, and then the second half an hour, we're going to do uh, somewhat of a segment centered around jug bands, and I don't have too much in my personal collection of that, but we'll have some of the big names and some more rare stuff, too, and we'll also be playing stuff that's sort of related, um, whether it's artists who are involved in, uh, namely, the big jug bands, the Memphis Jug Band, and um, also Gus Cannon's Jug Stompers, and some of their more solo work, but uh, before we're going to start out, we're going to hear some Bubble Bee Slim. Um, some Willie Brown, Sylvester Weaver, Willie 66 Blackwell, some Leroy, Leroy Carr, Clifford Gibson, Louise Johnson, Big Bill, um, Jim Jackson, and we'll hear a combination of CDs and vinyl. I got some great blue stuff from uh, my trip last week into Brooklyn, and we'll check that out. So, um, so enjoy. Thanks for listening. Long time break. 